It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday october 23rd and you're listening to episode 595 as always i am your host jason here today joined by awesome co-host emily vincent hello emily vincent how are you i'm good jason how are you doing doing well um it was a good week last week i uh i did my uh unpub speed pitch that i said i was going to do and um, pitched to uh, five companies, I think, and uh, two of them had some interest. Uh, one of them, uh, two of them had some hard no interest um, mm. for mostly logistical reasons. Um, you know, it's an 18 card game, uh, an 18 card role playing game. And they were like, you know, I just I just don't know, like, if we could do this. Uh, the one company was like, we can't do this. Um, <laughs> and that was great. Like, I appreciated the honesty uh, a third company was like, we might be able to do this. And then another company um, had said, hey, we can't do this, but here's who you should pitch it to. And they gave me somebody to talk to. I reached out to them and they were like, yeah, we want to see more about this. This looks kind of cool. So fingers crossed that they, they've they got all this stuff now. So I, if I managed to sign it with a company who's not, who wasn't at the pitch, that's a pretty solid pitch. So That'd be pretty you know. cool. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I'd feel pretty good about that. So, so what what did you do last week? So I actually did a little bit of a vacation. I was up in New Hampshire nice. for a bunch of days. Eric had one of his big ultra marathon races, um, so I was right, the right. crew for that, um, which involved sitting in a canopy in the rain for like sixteen hours while he ran. <laughs> in the rain uh, for like 16 hours oh my gosh it was it was a mess it was a muddy mess but wow. he was killing it out there it's just the mud the mud just got him right um he, he wasn't he wasn't tired right but he it, the mud was just really slowing him down so the the winner of that race actually ran for 39 hours um and you know straight yes yeah so uh, so did they did the race end because that person won and then died no, and that person has won like five years in a row. So the the setup of this race, it's called a backyard ultra. And um, every hour you run three and a half miles and you have to be on the starting line at the hour marker, right? So at 10 a.m. at 11 a.m. to start your mile or your three and a half miles. Mm-hmm. And so they go until there's only one person left and that person runs a final lap. And if they finish it in time, they win. And everyone else did not finish. Uh so you could literally be the last person standing and then fall at three minute, three and a quarter miles and no one wins that year. And no one wins. You're yeah. just not even second place. You're just yeah. a loser. I yeah. mean, you're, you're shared second place. You just, I guess you just so. Lose. Yeah. So, so he did wow. that. Yeah. <laughs> it was very cool. I'm, I, I think we might be going back next year. He's got lots of different ultras that we do sort of around the country and I'm the mm-hmm. crew and that's very fun. Um, and but then we just sort of were in a cabin in New Hampshire and I brought some board games because uh, I was studying. Uh, so we caught up on a couple newer co-op games, um, a couple tile placement games, played two co-op games that are about like saving the environment, one of which was mm-hmm. like heartbreaking. So endangered, you're supposed to like save the tigers. Oh, and, yeah. oh I had 
all the feelings about that. Every time you lose a tiger, you're just like, Mm -hmm. I just broke up a a mating pair and the poachers got them. And it was, it was all the feels. not, does not get around at all. Yeah. Yeah. We played it. We, we did it. We saved the tigers. Although we passed a, we passed a motion in the UN and I'm not sure that that actually saves the tigers, but hopefully, hopefully it does. (laughs) I think that's the idea is that, is that it does save the tigers. So. Yeah. Um, And then later we played the spill uh which mm, you were just spill mm-hmm. bus bill yeah um which has the same you're saving you know water animals from an oil spill but it doesn't quite like it feels a little less heartbreaking because the sick animals go to sick bay they don't just like return <laughs> to the supply <laughs> so so you still got that drive to like save the animals but you're like they're in sick bay we could still save them they're in sick bay right False. Um, they're dead yeah and then i finally got around to playing spirit island which is also like got some like save the you know save the native people and the native land and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so i did a lot of did a lot of heroic things uh this past week that's basically what i'm saying i saw spirit island at the store recently and it was a specific version of spirit island but it called itself a settler destruction game yes i was like that is the best thing like we need more of that like Nature destroys the colonizers. Sign me up. Like, I yeah. love it. Yeah, we, we played that twice this week. And I played, I don't remember, the names of the characters are all very long. But um, I played, like, a mud weasel. Um, and then I played, like, a wind cat. Um, and so that was very fun. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, the, the game looks really cool. I've not tried it, but I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, we actually got, there's a version you can get that's like the, not the intro version, but I sort of heard it referred to like uh, Jaws of the Lion is the sort of, if you want to get into Gloomhaven, that's the like mm-hmm, lighter mm-hmm. weight version. So I, I picked that up for us. We didn't get the full game, but we may we may get the bigger game so we can play more spirits and stuff. I like think that. that's the version I just saw recently. It was like at Target and yep. I was like, oh yeah, okay. Okay, that's cool to know that that's kind of the intro version. Yeah, I might have to try yeah. that too then. Yeah, it's got, it's got fewer spirits. It's the board is just, it's a regular board. It's not sort of a configurable where you can build it out with the number of players, right? There's just mm-hmm. a two-player side and a three-player side um, and stuff that's like cool. that. So it was good. I enjoyed nice. it. Very nice. Yeah. Well, we you a brought a topic and you said you're just going to talk. You said I could I could talk forever about this topic. So we should probably start the topic early. That's um, true. Because Emily's going to talk forever about it. Um, <laughs> you brought up words that I had to look up, which is always a good sign. So um, it's like, can yeah. you send me some links to this topic? <laughs> because I think I understand, um, but I want to make sure I'm on the right page. So and you sent me some links and uh, now I'm going to pretend I'm super smart about it. So, I yeah. love it. So, um, so I, you know, professionally, I, I am in the user experience field mm-hmm. um, and uh, one of the things that I came across in my grad studies that I loved was um, design heuristics and heuristic evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently I've gotten into some conversations with folks about heuristics and what they are and how you use them. Um, and I've got you know a set that I always use for usability type stuff. Um, but there's some interesting conversation going on online about board game heuristics. Um, so I figured it might be interesting to talk about the sort of baseline usability heuristics that I know mm-hmm. and I use, 
what they are, how you use them, and maybe a little bit about how they apply to board games, um, mm -hmm. or maybe mm -hmm. a lot bit about how they apply to board games. Um, and, you know, but people can take it from there because one of the cool things about heuristics is that you can create your own, right? You can use your knowledge to come up with these these new sets of rules, these new guidelines right, right. that you can use as your own mental shortcuts um, because that's what heuristics are, right? They're right, mental shortcuts, right. they're rules of thumb, mm -hmm. right? They're sort of yep. things that help you keep a concept sort of at the front of your mind. Um, and so, yeah, it's, that's what I figured we'd talk about. It's funny to me because heuristics for me were an unintentional uh, shortcut, like mental shortcut. And the fact that I've heard that term before and could not have defined it for you. Yet when I looked it up, it was exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is what I thought it was. Okay. Um, so literally it's like a magic word. So I, yeah. we defined it, but I don't think we have to. I think people just already know what it is. They're just born that way. They just know. Just boom. Exactly. It's in your head. It's a baby. <laughs> first word. Heuristic. <laughs> so, um, specifically you sent me this link to this, um, cool one, uh, for Jacob Nielsen's 10 yeah. general principles for interactive design. This one, I would love if we could talk through this one. Yeah. If that's cool. Cause this, um, as soon as I pulled this up, I was like, oh gosh, this is so good for design stuff. Um, yeah. so usable and, uh, yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to steal the thunder on this. So you, by all means, you thunder away. Yeah, so I, I so let's talk just a little bit. Give people who Jacob Nielsen is. Um, so Jacob Nielsen is uh, considered one of the original thought leaders in the field of user interface usability, user experience. Um, he's I think if you Google him, he says he's um, the guru of web page usability. Um, but Jacob Nielsen and Don Norman, that you might know from the Design of Everyday Things got together and formed fantastic book yeah the... I mean, honestly it's it's kind of boring and it's really long but it's really really informational and i'm glad that i read it it's so wonderful right but so the two of them together they formed a group i think it's the nielsen norman group might be the norman nielsen group but i'm pretty sure it's the nielsen norman group I bet and they about that. they publish usability stuff right and um one of the things that jacob nielsen has brought to the table is you know, this set of 10 heuristics that through years and years of usability research, you can sort of group together the most common problems under these 10 heuristics. Um, and I originally learned about them in uh, what's called an expert evaluation method called uh, heuristic evaluation, where, you know, the best way to evaluate a user interface for usability is to have people use it, um, just in the same way that the best way to look at your game is to have people play it. Um, right. But you don't always have time or you don't always have access to users. And so this is an expert evaluation technique where you can take these rules and you can just go through an interface and you'd be like, it's violating rule one. It's violating rule three. Here's a problem against rule seven. Right. And so when you don't have time or access to people, it's a way that you can sort of get to some of the things they probably would have said mm -hmm. uh, if you were actually able to sit down and have them use right. your UI. Um, so, so you can use it to evaluate something, but the great thing is once you know what you're evaluating against, you can use it just as your design rules as well. So as you're thinking about how to make it, just make it so that it doesn't violate these heuristics. <laughs> um, you know, why evaluate your work later against something that you already knew at the beginning? Uh, so, so yeah, uh, that's what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to go through mm -hmm. these 10 heuristics. 
um, with the caveat, right? They are designed for interactive graphical user interfaces. Um, and so some things are very software oriented. Um, and, you know, I think Jason and I are gonna be able to pull, uh, you know, the, the pieces that are related to board game, but there's probably more depth there. I, I did a quick Google search. I didn't find specifically board game heuristics, although I, I did find some, there's a really great blue sky thread that I wanna talk about at the end that's mm -hmm. going on right now. Um, but I did find, um, I think Nielsen has published a version of these that are for video game design, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Just taking it and, and moving it to that. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a good conversation. I think we're going to have fun. Look, I just went back through and looked through the 10 real quick. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, off the top of my head, every single one of them has an analog to video games. I, I'm to, I mean, to board games, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of them are, yeah, yeah. We'll see if we come up with yeah. the same things or not. <laughs> but yeah. to me, I, I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I have questions about number nine, but that's about, uh, <laughs> that's about the only one that I couldn't come no, up with something ahead looking back that at I thought were nine. useful. That's all right. We'll get there. Oh we yeah. No, to go. I, I have, I have ideas for number nine, but that was okay. the weirdest one. Agreed. It, yeah. So, yeah. They get a little, they get a little weirder at the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to start with number one. Mm -hmm. uh, which is visibility of system status, right? Mm -hmm. So the system should always keep users informed about what's going on through appropriate feedback within a reasonable amount of time. Um, so I don't know. What's, what's your first thought, Jason? I'll, I'll start to, with you. To me, um, to me, it was when I look at uh, the game state, mm -hmm. do I know what's happening in the game at this moment? Do I know whose turn it is? Do I know which whose turn it is, is like one of the worst problems in game design, I think. Yes. Right? Like, because everybody has that one friend who's like, whose turn is it? Like, if you have to ask, dude, it's you. It's your turn. <laughs> and you can tell because it's taking forever. Um. So, so yeah, I feel like, um, you know, I just this weekend, I played Taverns of Teeth and Tall, and it was fantastic. I love the game. I played it a ton of times, but we played it with some new people. And some people are slower than others. You pass dice around. Um, on these little coasters, it's real cute. Um, mm -hmm. And we got traffic jams because people would be, and so multiple times we'd be like, who's now what's now count the dice who needs that? Like, you know, and it was annoying. Um, and it was, it was our fault. Right. But you know, like one of the first things I thought of was like, how can the game solve this problem? Right. Mm -hmm. Like how can the game solve this so that that's not an issue? And I don't actually have an answer for that. But that's what popped in my head when I saw this. So yeah. also the things like what what statuses do we hide, right? Like visible right. system status, like the points, right? Like yes. I don't want to see that, right? Because that's that's unhelpful, right? Um, or it can be unhelpful depending on the game, right? If it's a game where you're racing to a number, then you need to be able to know. We've also played Dwarven Miner this weekend, another fantastic game, one of my wife and I's favorites. Um, and you played a 30 points in that game and you need to be able to see where people are at. Right. Mm -hmm. If you can't, it's not nearly as good because you're racing to that number. Um, and that is the end of the game. When someone gets there, game over, you're done. So, um, knowing where you're at, it's not like a game where in the end you add up your points, right. Where you yeah. don't necessarily want to know where everyone's at. All right. Your turn. I talked about yeah. it. Sorry. No, I mean, so that's actually the first thing I jumped to was the thought of points and when do you show them and when do you not, right? Mm -hmm. Who, what's the score? I think there are times in board games where 
we intentionally do not show the score, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't want people to feel like they're so far behind that they can't catch up because right. the joy is in playing, right? So I think of some like tile placement games where you just, you do it and at the end you're like, look, it's so great. And then you do a score and you're like, huh, it didn't score as well as I thought, but I feel good about it, right? right? Um, so I think it's I think it's okay to intentionally hide system status in mm-hmm. a situation like that. Um, it, when, it, when it's a problem is when you accidentally do it, right? Um, and so another thing that popped into my head is like area control games, like trying to figure out who has control over yes. what area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That's, that's really hard. Right. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think it's, you want people to sort of at a glance, like you said, be able to figure out whose turn it is, what phase we're in. Mm-hmm, right. Have mm-hmm. we discarded our cards? Right. What, yep. you know, what are the visual indicators that I know what's going on in the game? For, for games like that are tile placement games or things like that, you know, knowing which moves are legal, like immediately mm-hmm. is real important to not have to ask or to constantly be thinking, you know, is this, can I do this? Can I play here? I think of the game um, uh, Perfectly Parceled, that, that the prototype that I've got. And, you know, one of our big things with this was being able to easily count up points when you mm-hmm. played because it's a little not intuitive until it clicks. And then it's like, oh, I got this right. Um, but learning how best to show that, how best to explain that so that when somebody knows they place, they know exactly what happens. Right. And um, and that involved the tiles being made in a very specific way so that it's obvious what you score and, and why. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other thing that I've seen in some games I've been playtesting recently is when you've got simultaneous play. Right. How do you know when everyone else is done? And so mm-hmm. a number of games give you something to flip when you're done or mm-hmm. an indicator you have no tiles left right and so people can right. look around and figure out who's done right right when we were playing taverns and even told my friend joel he was he'd never played before and he is like intently leaning over the um the player board and mm-hmm. i'm sitting there and i'm like hey man are, are you done he's like oh i've been done he's like i'm sorry he's like i'm just looking at this artwork it's really detailed and i was like oh gosh like okay <laughs> like and that was my fault i should have asked right I, eventually i did uh, but, you know, we sat there for a good two, three minutes just sitting there watching him stare at the artwork um, because I couldn't tell that he was done. Right. Um, and we changed the system to say, OK, when I'm done, I'm going to pick these things up. And then, you know, when I look, oh, his stuff's all put away, he's done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. We got a lot of these. So I'm going to jump us to we number do. Yes. two. And, and you go first on this one. I'll go let's, first. Let's yeah. take turns. Yes. All right. So match between system and the real world. Right. So the design should speak the user's language, use words, phrases and concepts familiar to the user rather than jargon. Um, (laughs) This is one of my favorites. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. It's so great. Um, And this is, you know, in UI design, it's the the mantra is the user's not like me. Right. So they don't know the things that I don't that I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so. You know, that my first thing is use stuff people know, right? If you are making a game that's set in a kitchen, use icons that look like things in the kitchen, use words that look like things that are from the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would say this is where it's be careful about game design jargon, right? So if you're describing yes. everything as a draft and an action selection and a worker placement, and things like that, right? That speaks to our community, um, right? Right. And some gamers, but mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. all gamers, right? Um, 
so that was sort of the the place where I was like, oh, jargon, there it is. Um, and then and then then I thought, you know, there's also this. This is where theme comes in, right? Mm-hmm. So this is where you can really yeah. sell it. So the real world doesn't have to be this piece of paper, right? But this is where you build you build that world world. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I had um, I think it was Jack who was looking at Good Kitties and the rule book. And it's all very thematic in this world. And then the cats can transform supplies into other supplies. And like, mm-hmm. it's such a magic-y word. It doesn't, it doesn't fit in the rest mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. world. And it sort of jumped out at Jack of like, what are you talking about? Right. That just feels like a bandaid because it doesn't even fit in the rest of this. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so I think that's where, you know, matching your your words and your icons to Mm -hmm. the theme uh, that really pulls the thread all the way through yeah no i'm completely in agreement on that i'll take it one step further and say that this is where theme justifying mechanics helps a lot too Mm. not just like you know like i think specifically with you know the cats transforming something right that feels weird and it's hard to remember maybe because it it's not it doesn't make sense right yeah so when you when like the number of times that I'm explaining a fun thematic game to someone whether I designed it or someone else designed it and I say um oh you know and then you do blah 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 and they're like oh because this does that yes and I'm like exactly like yeah. and when that happens it makes me so happy because it means that I I've, I've nailed it right like that that has clicked for them and, you know, mission accomplished because they're going to remember that, right? And a lot of the other things you said come into that, using terms that make sense, you know, um, you know, I try to very, very, like, one of the things I, I hate doing is um, naming decks, right? Mm. Sounded like I said decks there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just want to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I, like, coughed a little bit as I said that. So, um because I think that anytime you have a deck of cards, any number of deck of cards in a game, they need to have a name, right? A collective yes. name to be the, the X deck. Right. Yep. And I struggle a lot with that, you know, and um, like I have used the, the, in so many social deduction games, I have used target deck as something it's in no context. That is the, the target cards is what they mm-hmm. call them. Um, and because it makes sense, right? Was there a better word for that? There very well may have been, right? A more thematic, better <laughs> word. But that's, you know, a go-to word I use because most people, oh, it's the target. It's what I'm shooting for, right? Um, you know, when build a fire, build it big, I have a fire deck and a danger deck. And the fire deck tells you what you throw in the fire. And the danger deck tells you what happens when there's danger, right? <laughs> um, you know, so... I think that situations like that are really, really key to helping people remember things, you know, and if you have one deck and it's a draw deck, just call it a draw deck. Don't get fancy. Right. It's when you have more than one deck that you have to really start considering what you call them so that people, so it's instantly recognizable what they need. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. Monopoly does this well, right. You've got community chests and chance right um you know and they they keep those in a way that makes sense with the symbols and stuff like that and that is uh yeah yeah good job monopoly good job (laughs) absolutely all right ready for number three yes all right and you're you're going first here so Okay, okay number three is user control and freedom 
though users often perform actions by mistake, they need a clearly marked emergency exit to leave the unwanted action without having to go through an extended process. Yeah, this one, this one I'm, I have a little bit of a harder time with this matching this one up exactly, only because if they're making mistakes playing your game, right? Like that's, that's the problem, right? Yeah. You know, in, in design, like this is I'm like, you know, UX or UI design, like that specifically, like in um, digital, they're going to make mistakes. How do they fix it? Right. For this, for me, I, I feel like it needs to be clearly marked so that they're not making the mistakes. Which but, is one of the heuristics later. <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. So um, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on this one? So I, I love this one because it's, I don't think it's well named, uh, but what this is, this is about undo, right? And this is mm -hmm. all about exploration. So users feel more free to explore if they know when they make a mistake, they can undo it, right? Okay, so, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think about the times, like anytime I'm playing a co-op game where we start to move pieces around and then we're like, oh, no, 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 wait, that's not the plan that I wanted to do. Let me try and put it back. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. And so, you know, I think there's something and I don't have a really great solution to it, but I do think there are games where you're able to explore what you plan to do on your turn without changing the state of the board in such a way that it's impossible to get back. Right. So you can, maybe you have yeah, a little, yeah. I can test it out on my player mat before I move it to the, uh, the mm -hmm. main board. Um, but something, or I can, I have a piece of paper where I can draw out my plan, right? But something where you can do it without actually doing it. Um, and then I don't know how you help the people who do decide they want to undo, right? Because I know yeah, lots yeah. of people do it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of times it's just like, oh, you could take that back, but yeah. did they get it exactly right? I, I don't know, you know? Um, there was a game, I don't remember the name of this game. I, I actually don't remember the name of the designer off the top of my head either, but I played it at PAX U. The designer was super nice. I think I want to say his name is Dave. Um, and uh, he had this game where you're putting shapes together and the shapes were real abstract and it was real tricky. So he gave everyone player boards with mm -hmm. the same core outlines so that you could mess with it on your player board to see how it fits into the shapes. Yeah. And and that did two things. One, it was super fun to fiddle with and it kept my kids entertained as they were playing. And two, it saved time because before you were fiddling with it, you were like, oh, okay, this is how this is going to fit. And then you would just do it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really cool. Like, and that really, really made a difference. So yeah, I'm bummed. I can't remember the name of that game, but I'm not surprised. Bummed, but not surprised. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I think there's also an interesting tie to games where they explicitly do not allow you to undo. Right. So anything mm -hmm. where it's like, as soon as you touch the piece or as soon as you let go of the piece, you are never allowed to move it again. Right. 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 Um, you know, there's, I, I think there are times, you know, we've already talked about the system status stuff where you may want to hide the score. Um, so there's times where board games really don't fit these rules. Right. Because mm -hmm. they're a different mm -hmm. medium. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's an interesting one. And literally the main thing I take away from this is like in a UI design, you need to have an undo stack. Like, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> People just need to be able to control Z their way out of uh, whatever oh, chaos they've wrought. It's, it's like Photoshop and like, you know, you can set the number of control Zs and like, I have it yeah. like, I don't know. It's a lot. <laughs> it's like 99 or something like that because the no- amount of times I've had to go back 30 times to fix something that I screwed up is, it is a lot higher than zero. I'll tell you that. So um, <laughs> yeah, that that's a good one. That's a good one that I just, I wasn't wrapping my head around it, but no great points on that for sure. Yeah. All right. Number four, consistency and standards. Users should not have to wonder whether different words, situations, or actions mean the same thing. Follow platform and industry mm. conventions. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Uh, you're first on this one. Oh, I'm first this time. Okay. So first off, use the same words. Don't call it consistently or hand, you know, hand the cards, deal the cards, set the cards. Pick one, mm-hmm, pick, a, mm-hmm. pick a word, right? Um, and then I think there are standard words, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if you want people to shuffle the deck and you want it to be thematic, I still don't think you should tell them to like blargle the deck, right? Like I just, <laughs> I, I just don't, right? I think, I think there are some yeah. game words that are consistent standards that we just need to to use right roll the dice shuffle the deck deal the cards right pick up your meeple whatever it is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but it does take us onto that precipice of jargon right and so i think that's where trying to figure out what the line is uh yeah right mean for people uh is an interesting one i I do find it interesting that you know a couple rules ago it specifically says don't use industry jargon and then here it says follow industry standards and conventions, right? Like, so that is, it is, I, I get the difference, but it is a very fine line, right? You yeah. know, it's, it's when you, I think, so I think this is where, and then maybe there's something else ahead with this, but what this sparks in me is that a lot of times if I have multiple decks or things in a game, I will have a section in the rule book where it just defines everything. It's like mm-hmm. fire deck. This is a deck that we'll have, and it will tell you what's on the cards. Like, what is what to expect on these cards? This is the danger deck. This is what to expect on these cards. This is what you do with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that in, in the middle of the game, if somebody needs to look that up, boom, it's right there. But also, if somebody says, what does Blargle the deck mean? You know, oh, Blargle equals shuffle. Now right. I hate this designer. But... um, <laughs> And that's the thing, too, is like, if people are worried about it pulling you out of the theme... Um, you're just, if you're doing standard actions, like and you're giving them non-standard names, it needs to be because it ties back into rule, uh, two matching mm-hmm. between the system and the real world. Right. So like if I, uh, made a game about, um, like mining for gold mm-hmm. and, um, when I have to search the deck, right? And the deck is called the rim because that's like the mine, right? It's the, the top yeah. of the mine. And so like I say, you have to reconnoiter the rim. And what do you mm. do with that? Oh, you search through the deck, right? Yeah. Like that is where I'm using that terminology to help me remember, right? Yeah. Um, Like you just like you might say search through the deck, right? Um, yeah. As just a standard term, like... I think the to me the difference is when the the industry words or whatever the or the thematic words whatever 
will help um, yeah. when they're so obvious. If you are playing a card game, you know what the term shuffle means. If you are old enough to read the word shuffle while playing a card game, you probably know what that means. Now, if you're a kid, you're probably like, I can't do that. And you're going to have somebody do it for you. But you still yeah. knew what the word meant, right? Right. Drafting, not that word. A lot mm-hmm. of people understand what that word means. Um, but, uh, you know, like not everybody's going to get that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's This is the thing that I, I get annoyed when some deck builders don't point out the difference between is the discard and the trash, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. And and those those two terms have become pretty standard in a lot of deck builders, discard and trash, because most people know what that means, right? Um, like, because it's, you know, people who play deck builders, but those are also easy to define, right? Yeah. Um, but you need to define those, even if you're like, people will know. Mm, no, 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 define that shit, right? <laughs> Do <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Yeah, I so I ran into this. I had Roscoe reading the uh, Pirates rulebook the other day, um, and yeah, pointed out some of the exact same things of like, if this is truly discarded, discarded into the box, do not return it to the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also pointed out a fascinating one. So I have two decks of cards in that game. We have mm-hmm. the tea deck and the dish deck. Yep. Um, and I also have a board that has a picture of a ship on it and you put your meeples on the deck of the ship. And so suddenly we had <laughs> two meanings for the word deck and Roscoe's like, Mm-mm. and I was like, Oh my gosh, you're right. It does. So I, I had to, we don't refer, I don't refer to the deck of the ship anymore because the right. deck of cards, mm-hmm. you're playing a game, the deck with a capital right. D is right. going to be the cards. Um, and so that was a weird little, like I got to fit the, the standard words uh, in correctly mm-hmm. so that they actually make sense and don't make it more confusing. That's a fantastic catch by Roscoe is what that is. Uh, yeah. Roscoe <laughs> Cause as soon as you said it, I'm like, wow, that's not good. But I don't know that I would have caught that because I would have been like, Oh, the ship deck. Yeah. That makes sense. You know? Yeah. I yeah. wrote seven pages of rule book with two decks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. I'm going to flip my page, which I'm sure you're going to be able to hear on the recording. So sure. sorry, people. Um, great. All right. Uh, number five. You ready for this one? You're up first. Yeah. Yeah. Error prevention. So this talks about good error messages being important, but the best designs carefully prevent problems from occurring in the first place. Yeah. So this is... Um... This to me is 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 pretty obvious along the lines of, you know, making sure that things are are obvious, right, of what you're doing, right? So that you're not making simple errors when it comes to, oh, what do I where do I put these dice? Do I do this? Do I put it on the, the deck or the ship deck? Right? Like it's that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> um, but also it's just having things um having things flow correctly. I think one of the biggest tools for this that I think is really useful is um, in game setup. I hate the descriptions in game setup. Put this in the center of the playing area. Put this in the, you know, next to the blah, blah, blah. Put no, 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 no. Show me a picture, right? Show me a picture of where everything goes with arrows and labels, because Mm -hmm. that's going to stop me from putting in the wrong space. Because when you put some things in the wrong space, it will, change the flow of how things work especially if 
that flow is designed around um how the game works great example um my game into the black forest from green couch um if you were to set up the center card wrong or not understand how to place the cards around that because it's a trick-taking game where you're playing four tricks at once um and those all get set on different sides of the main center card right which is like a little Mm -hmm. bigger um and so as you do that if you didn't understand where those went then you would completely biff it and it would just be broken it would never work so like you know hey put a picture in there of this is how you lay the cards out right so that it flows better when you play it um and you know with that diagram you can do a lot of things in addition to that i think in that game we show which cards how cards come back to you and that sort of thing and it all kind of works together um but i think that is good as a good way to do that you know once again we've already said this but things like clear iconography and stuff so that it really makes sense to you about what you're putting where and why you're doing the things you're doing um yeah, those are those are my thoughts on that. There's probably more. Tell me what I missed. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, in the digital world, we're talking about putting up pop-ups of like, are you sure you want to do that? Which right, clearly right. isn't going to work here. And I do think error prevention is one of the big topics we talk about all the time in game design. Because when you mess up the rules, A, you may not realize it, and B, it may totally destroy the experience, like mm-hmm. you just said. Um, so... I I think you hit on a lot of really good points. I think some of it is about keeping people away from the really dangerous edge cases. Um, But I guess one of the things that it brought to mind for me is places where you can use shapes to force people to not make mistakes, right? So give them a round peg in a square hole, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll know that they've Mm -hmm. put it in the wrong place. Um, And and this is what I had to do in Knitting Circle, right? Is I had to design a piece that you could not put it in the wrong way because it does right. not fit. Um, yep, yep. And so that obviously doesn't work for everything, but I think, you know, for some of that, right. Thinking about if you make a space for cards on the board, having that icon, having that color, but maybe some of your cards are different shapes. Like I, you know, I think I pulled out, was it spirit Island? One of the games I was playing this week mm-hmm. where each card deck is a different shape, right? Mm-hmm, there's a square mm-hmm. deck and there, Oh no, I think it was creature comforts. Right. There's a square deck and there's yeah, a, yeah. a little deck and there's a normal size deck and there's a big deck. Right. And like you literally can't put them in the wrong places because if right, you do, right. they're covering covering up important spaces on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so they used size and shape to sort of force you mm-hmm. to do the right thing. Yep. Taverns and Tiefenthal does a really good job with that as well with card placement, because there's pictures next to every place where cards would go. Like. Mm-hmm. You know, where there's people sitting at tables and those cards go, hey, on the tables uh, because they're sitting there. Right. You know, and the other ones, you can tell by the way they're orientated that they fit next to things in certain spots. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a really good that's a really good point. So I think another thing that along with this one, though, really quick, is that um, this is where having a um, a nice um, either a walkthrough like a like a round you know aid that says do this and this helps you recall each thing you have to do um, that's important uh, and also um, not to just keep talking about taverns but you know, I played it recently so yeah it's got like a really really nice FAQ on the back of the rule book and I mean like it's like 15 things on the FAQ and it's really cool because I I glanced at that probably three or four times because it's been a while since we played it. And I was like, oh, yeah, yep, this, um, you know, like I want to make sure to call that out. And, um, yeah, so 
yeah, so I think that that is a really good way to help people um, not make errors, to make it easy for them to find the answer so that they don't have to guess. Um, here's something I just thought of. So I think when you, you were talking about like, what is, where are the times when people are most likely to make errors? And so it's, I think it's simultaneous play. Mm. So Taverns has this, but whenever we teach someone new, so what happens is you all draft, right? But you're drafting at the same time. And that's really like, if you don't take a die or you take too many, everyone's going to notice because there's not going to be the right number of dice coming at you, right? <laughs> but in the end, technically, you can kind of go pretty quickly. If you want to buy things, you have to kind of go in order. But you can do a lot of the math and stuff on your own. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just do it, right? Um, and I, most of the time, was not saying what I was doing, um, you know, uh, because I'm like, I know what I'm doing, right? But if I mess it up, in a simultaneous play game, you don't know that I messed it up, right? You yeah. have no idea unless, you know, if we're if we're doing a, uh, and I'm not talking about people cheating. You can't right. stop that, right? If you're playing like a, a roll and write where you're doing it at the same time and it's essentially, you know, a a, uh, a joint solitaire game, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah, I mean, you are, uh, if you screw up, no one's going to know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, but it's still important to try to think in those, ways of how do I make sure that doesn't happen, right? Because if someone screws up to the point where now they've like completely, you know, jacked up the board and they can't finish, you're screwed. You can't rewind that, you know? Yeah. And that's not fun. <laughs> that's a no. bummer. Yeah. And I so when we were playing Spirit Island this past weekend, there were a couple times like that that game has a lot going on. It's a complex game, right? And you have powers that are on different cards and you you know, I've got a mitt full of cards and I got to pick the two or three that I'm going to play. And we'd come up with these plans and we'd start executing them. And I'd, then I'd be like, I didn't fully grok what my card yep. said. Yep. I thought I was giving you plus three damage, but I'm actually giving you plus three defend. Now your plan doesn't work. And we're like halfway through this plan. And I was like, uh, I messed it up. Sorry. That's where in the co-op game I say, we're just going to pretend it was what you said it was. Yeah. We're just going to roll. Um, so we were busy getting rid of those colonizers. Right, right. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's, uh, let's do the next one here. Number six. Let's boogie. Um, so recognition rather than recall. Minimize the user's memory load by making elements, actions, and options visible. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is about don't make me remember put the put the mm-hmm. put the aids on the board right give me mm-hmm. a player uh, player guide player aid give me some icons right um you know uh, a big one that i i ran into on a game recently uh stuff on the front and back of a card or a player mat if i need to reference the back of the card when i have the front up with little components on top of it <laughs> It's not going to work. That is just, that's bad design. Like there's, that is cheap design is what that is. It's like, ah, and like, I didn't even really need to reference it, but there was some nice flavor stuff on the other side that I was Mm -hmm. like, I want to see this again, but I can't because I have 10 pieces here that that, I've committed to the pieces. I'm committed. Right. Um, So, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff we've already talked about in here. Uh, Color code, shape and code. Right. Make it so that when you're like, where does this go? And you scan the board, you're like, oh, 
the stuff the, right. the beer can goes on the table of beer cans right like got it i, I have not played your game but or the game you were talking about <laughs> but like there's beer cans right there's there's oh. not it's a medieval okay. tavern nice try though but this i think what goes along with this too is thematic stuff right yeah because you recognize it when it makes sense right yes. when the when thematically you're like oh i use this to buy this right like you know um that sort of thing I think is to me, that's, that's kind of what this means too, right. Of like, Hey, I got this, this clicks for me. It's not a, I have to remember how to blargle the deck. I know right. to shuffle the deck. Right. You know, that was a bad example because it's not thematic, but you know, you yeah, do know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think even like, um, like when you talk about like player aids, right. If there's, mm -hmm. you know, three phases, but each phase has two or three sub phases, Right put in the titles of those sub phases to help people remember. So you're not like, Oh, I'm in, I'm in explore. What's explore is draw a card, right, right. move a space, flip a tile, mm -hmm, right? You gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta put that there because so I don't have to like remember it all. Right. 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 All right. I think that one is easy. Yeah, that was easy. All right. So number seven, back to you, flexibility and efficiency of use. So shortcuts hidden from novice users may speed up the interaction for the expert user so the design can cater to both inexperienced and experienced users. Right, right. And this, so this is one of the things I was saying with taverns where you could do things on your own, but instead we walked, every, everyone did it together, like one at a time, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that. Great, you're done. Now I'm going to do this, right? And the big thing about that was you're handholding each other to get through it, right? Um, but it's for novices, that's great for people who've been playing the game a bunch. There's no reason to do that. Right. Let's make the mm -hmm. game go faster so that we can play it again if we want afterwards. Um, so I think that's really great too, with like, you know, quick start rules and things like that, where there are more complex scenarios, um, that you can play, um, that aren't like even full blown scenarios. It's just like, Hey, in the first game, we suggest you use these five cards done right like so we use these five cards and that's going to make the game more efficient and easy to use the first time but once we get to know it we're going to be able to make things more complex um which kind of feels a little bit like the opposite of what it's saying but i think it's in the spirit of what it's saying you know yeah so so this is this is one i find really interesting because when you think about user interface design, right? So think about Photoshop or Illustrator, right? The thing that they've done to address this here is they've created like keyboard shortcuts. So you can do everything by clicking and dragging the buttons and the mouse and all that stuff. And if you're a power user, you're like keyboard, keyboard, keyboard. Oh, look, I made a cat, right? Um, and so, because <laughs> that's what I would make in Illustrator. Uh, it's true. Whereas I think when I sort of sat down and thought about this for game design, I think it's the other way around, right? I think in general, the game is the expert experience and we add things for the novice, right? So like you said, we, true, add, yeah. we add this quick start guide, we add the first scenario to play through, we simplify things um, and then you peel them back to get to the complex, crunchy heart that actually is the game. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So it's this fascinating like reversal to how I think about it that I just find very, very right, cool. Right, right. But it's still, it is, it's the spirit of it, right? Like it completely matches. It's just backwards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that that 
that's a that's another thing that we talk about in other words when we talk about game design of how do you scale from the first play to the the 50th play right of yes yes keep them engaged but keep them growing and keep them trying Mm -hmm. new things Mm -hmm. and you know that's that's i think what this is the flexibility of use right how do you make it so that when you play a second time and a third time it's still as engaging if not more than the first time yeah that's that's a really good point yeah for sure all right um all right this one's a this one's maybe a gimme number eight aesthetics and minimalist design uh interfaces should not contain information that is irrelevant or rarely needed clean your stuff up man right 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 (laughs) make your prototype clean don't don't add excess (laughs) you know so this this part's so obvious right because we've literally we've talked a bunch about this right it's it's making shapes where things fit it's making cards that are obvious where they go right that sort of thing so I'm going to throw out another thing here that may be a little more, yeah. um, a little, people may like this less, but I'm going to throw it out there. You know, I think the same thing can go when it comes to lore in a game, right? Mm-hmm. When you're reading a rule book with seven pages of lore, um, that's really neat, um, but it doesn't make the game easier to play. Right. That's where right. the theme is so overbearing that it's going to tell you to blargle the deck and you're not going to know what it means. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, that is where you need to figure out how you want that to work. Now, that said, there's always exceptions. Right. There are games where the whole point is it's this huge thing. And if it's an event game and that's the idea, like and it's like a, you get together for a night and you spend three to four hours playing just this game lure it up that's great if it's not but you still want to include that just put it after the rules right yeah you know you get a fun story at the end um a fun so there's a now i do think there are some exceptions to this rule and i'll use one of the games i worked on that's not published yet but is life of the party by um banana chan and i and this was actually her idea and i love this so the um the idea is that you are ghosts uh, going to see a travel agent. That travel agent is then sending you to a party of humans, uh, like a human party, where you're going to possess people and play a social deduction game by possessing people. Super nice. fun. It's silly. Um, and Banana had the idea to write the rule book as a uh, travel guide, as if you were a travel agent telling people what to do. So... In there, we were able to strike the balance of giving you the lore of the game, but also making the game easier to understand. We took something complex and put it into a travel itinerary, essentially, mm-hmm. that made sense, right? So the theme was really baked into the rules, um, but not in a way that was annoying or that slowed down the learning of the game. It actually enhanced it. Mm-hmm. so that's my plug for that and banana gets all the credit for that she's a genius it was her idea that's awesome um yeah you know i think in some ways i always think of this one as hearkening back to like the days of geocities of like you shouldn't <laughs> put everything in a blink tag right and so i i kind mm-hmm. of like part of me is like what are the blink tags of game design or or game prototyping right because i do think that I think that when you're going to publication with a game, there's a graphic designer who's going to handle 
the aesthetics, right? And it may not be mm -hmm. minimalist, but I think the minimalist is really important for the prototyping that we're doing, right? Because you mm -hmm. don't want anything mm -hmm. on there except things that are intentionally communicating either right. gameplay right. or maybe if you're trying to intentionally communicate, you know, mood or theme or something like that. But like, right, right, nothing extra, right? Well, it was like, you know, I mean, and don't think that art is extra, right? Right. Like, you know, um, a great example, I was talking about, we played Dwarven Minor, my wife and I did this weekend, um, which is an old game. I think it's out of print. It's by uh, Rather Dashing Games. And essentially you're just, um, you're collecting resources, using those resources to build fantasy weapons, armor, tools. Um, and then you're outfitting patrons, um, which are, you know, adventurers yep. basically. Yep. And you get stuff for that. And the artwork is beautiful and highly detailed and every card has so much detail, but every card also has the bottom section where it says exactly what the name is and the left section with no artwork that has the same symbols that tell you exactly what it needs. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's a great example where it's definitely doesn't feel minimalist and how much is coming at your face the whole time when you're trying to do it. Right. <laughs> but it's super readable and super understandable. So yeah. So yeah, I think, you know, games like that strike a nice balance where, you know, minimalist design doesn't mean everything just has to be graphic design with no art. Right. right? Absolutely. Um, games can be thematic and, you know, and, and still have that minimalist style that makes it easy to understand what you're doing. Yeah. And I think sometimes that you can even see that in like font choices where like maybe the name of the card that's, you know, that's flavor text is in the big fancy script curse. And then the, mm -hmm. the, the, what does it do is in a nice bold yep. sans yep. serif. Like it, it looks a little out of context, but it's real clear. <laughs> yep. I literally just did this in build a fire, build a big on the danger cards. There's verbiage, like a tells you some information and that is in the fancier writing. Mm -hmm. And then where it says now take this action, it switches to like, Calibri or something like that. Yep. It's like super exactly. obvious, like, and I didn't have it that way. And I was like, nope, this is hard to read. So I changed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. because you can have both and that's okay. You know, um, there is, um, actually it, it's, it's funny because in Dwarven Minor, the fonts on certain things are awful. Like the fancy fonts on the resources and stuff, you can't read them. Here's the good news. You don't have to. Um, because the picture is most of it. And so you know exactly what it is, right? That said, um, that font is not great, but when it came to the fonts that mattered, they used fonts you could read, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, cruising right along. Number nine to you. Help users recognize, diagnose, and recover from errors. Well, so Error here's messages the good... should be expressed in plain yeah. language. Yep. Yep. Um, so here's the good news. Uh, we've already covered most of this, right? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, helping people avoid errors by having good information, having, you know, things that make sense um, and really help you guide you what to do. Um, you know, I think when I was talking about things like, you know, if I don't get the right number of dice handed to me, that's an easy error to diagnose, right? To say, yeah. Hey, uh, I don't have any dice or I have two dice. I should only have one. Why are you handing me one dice? Right. Um, and that's where you get some things like everyone's doing the same thing in a simultaneous game. The fact that everyone's doing the same thing 
so that we all know if somebody does it wrong, right? Because mm-hmm. that basically gums up the whole works for everyone. And that's a problem. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, recover from errors. I, I still think that's the hardest one because it, it's, it's a pain to recover from errors, right? Yeah. I mean, like you said, the best thing we can try to do in board games is to prevent those errors. Um, because it's, it's a pain to recover from them. Right. I mean, it's just like, it's just like end game scoring, right? When I have to add up a bunch of stuff at the end, I usually do it twice to make sure I've done it right. The fact that I even have to do it once is annoying to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think a lesson we can take here when it comes to helping to prevent those errors. Another is, you know, when you're thinking about like a video game, right? If I try to play a video card game, if I try to put um, a card in a place where it's there, it can't go because of some rules, uh, it will stop me. It'll say you can't do that, right? Or if those cards have an effect that um, that you know alter things, it just takes care of it for me, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's funny. I'm thinking specifically the game Marvel Snap, which I still play, and it's like a card battler. And so many people in the channel that I follow for it on Facebook are like, oh, I just wish this was, I'm going to print cards and make this a real card game. And I'm like, it would be awful. Like it would be absolutely (laughs) awful because there's these ongoing effects that change. You have to do a lot of math, you know, like, oh, now this power on this guy is doubled or everyone's power of these cards in your hand is minus one. How do you track any of that? Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think it's really avoiding things like that, right? Knowing when something is going to be um, fiddly or not. And that's something we actually haven't said like this whole time is like, you know, really like watch for those things that are fiddly. Watch for those things that people yeah. do screw up. Right. Um, because again, your best bet is to try and cut those off at the pass. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a great point. And I think that's a great interpretation of this. And I, I hadn't thought of, you know, the piece about like when you can sort of visually see that something went wrong because you didn't get enough dice. Right. I think right, that's a right. good way. To, it lets you re- it lets you figure out where it happened, right? Who's got mm-hmm. the wrong number of dice around the table? Right, right. Who can um, we blame? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think the other thing that I thought of here, because this is the one that I was like, I don't know how relevant it is, because um, its its goal is like, don't just send like error message eight five three two one, right? right Be right, like, right, yeah. Kernel crash, yeah. please reboot your computer, right? Right, right, um, right. So I think another thing that I have seen is uh rule books that give a little grace or that give you permission like if it's all screwed up just reset next turn right that like give right, you right. the out right where you don't have to right right try and make yourself reconstruct it you can just be like ah here's how i fix it next time that's a really good po- point yeah yeah um all right so the last one big final one help and documentation uh this is write your rule books y'all <laughs> like write your rule books have your um your uh player aid player aids yep yeah have have those faqs right have, yep. i love faqs De- define everything have a glossary have a section <laughs> that explains what every deck is what every type card type is you know yep yeah every icon um it, yeah it just... I, I'm a big fan of over overdefining everything because the worst thing that's going to happen is people aren't going to read it. Yeah, it's that simple, right? 
Yeah, and I think, you know, once you're hitting publication, right, I know I have games that have little Facebook groups or forums where you can ask more questions and there can, you know, I can't count the number of times we've gone to BGG just to be like, does anyone know the answer to this question? And someone has asked it years ago and there's an answer that, the, you know, you're like, ooh, the designer or the publisher answered it and said, this is the rule. Great. Right. In fact, when nobody's asked, you're like, how dumb are we? <laughs> No one's asked this question. Oh no. You're the only ones who ran into it. Um, um yeah, right. So the other oh one thing I want to throw out there in the rules. This is something I like to do, and you want to try not to have too much of this. But um don't be afraid to do I do this in my rules sometimes when something's gonna be slightly different for one like edge case scenario. And you don't want a bunch of these, right? If you have a bunch of these, you've got a problem. But if you've got one or two things that might be different for some reason, I usually will put, you know, in big capital letters, bolded note in the section where it matters. And then I will put what it is. Right. Yeah. Just to call people out when they're reading through that section. Right. So if it says this section is about drafting. Right. Or blargling the deck. Right. Like it's in there. So I like look at the Blargle section and then I'm like, oh, there's a note in there. What is that? Oh, it's okay. You know what? That's what I was looking for, right? Yeah. That type of thing can also go in the FAQs and it should. Mm -hmm. But I like to call those things out right there in the rules. And I've used that as a way to train myself that if I have to put in more than one or two of those at the most, something is not clicking the way it should with the rules. And there is something that I can probably change to make it make it more clear and less you know exceptions to the rule right yeah absolutely right and i agree right when you've got too many uh probably probably a thing you need to look at but like there's always going to be a weird edge case that you just need to make really explicit so mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. calling it out clearly in its own little box maybe with in italics or in bold right yep yep uh, the same thing, though, with too many of those cutout boxes, that can also be confusing, too, right? You know, you yeah. want to make sure that everything is, um, but clearly label all your sections, right? The number of rule books I've seen where they don't have huge labels for a section that's like end game scoring or, you know, drafting or and like, why is this not a whole section here? You know what I mean? Like, right. make it obvious to me in the rules. Don't make me search for stuff. Agreed. Um, even when it ends up with like really little sections, right? Objective of the game. It's two sentences and two bullet points. Ah, well, it was totally worth the heading, right? Um, so people mm -hmm. can find it. So, so these are the Nielsen heuristics. They're intended for, like I said, user interface design. I did a quick Google and couldn't find board game design heuristics. But uh, Christopher Chan on Blue Sky has a thread mm -hmm. going on the board game design uh, feed. I don't know. He's marking them with a little die and the little scissors of mm -hmm. Clearly board game design them. heuristics. I like that. Um, and he's, I think he's at 16 so far, 16 out of question mark. He's just sort of uploading them as he goes. And it's mm -hmm. a fun, mm -hmm. it's a fun read, right? Um, uh, I am a particular fan of uh, number 13 that he posted, which is, Players should have a sense of what makes a good move from the first turn, but they should have as few obvious moves as possible over the course of the game. Yes, 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 yes. I'm like, that's some nice synthesis of 
than mm-hmm. conventional wisdom, right? And I, is, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm just super interested in this. This is something I have over the course of my career. I've made a couple different sets of heuristics to focus on different types of designs. I did one mm-hmm. about trust and trust in um, automated systems, and I did one about um, AI, uh, human AI teaming, and stuff like that. So. I love, I love seeing people creating new sets of heuristics and pulling from the community and synthesizing Mm -hmm. what people have sort of learned and has become tacit for them, but then finding that little, that little shortcut to give people so that you can have it in your, in your head when you're designing. Right. Right. Um, Yep. So yeah. I heart heuristics. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I love this. This was a super fun topic. You you did not lie. You said this is going to be good, and you were you were right. It, it is good. Love it. Awesome. Do you uh do you have anything you were going to pitch tonight? I can I can pitch a game. It's a little bit. Uh, can you? Because that sounded like a question. I can pitch a game. That sounded more like can I pitch a game? I can pitch a game, Jason. I believe uh, you now. <laughs> so this game is not um. It's not fully fleshed out. It it it's notebook ready, and it's I'm working on <laughs> notebook ready. Table. I'm working on bringing it to a table. I got some pieces. Uh, but a not table all near pieces. you, probably yeah. it packs you. Um, yeah, so it doesn't have a good name. Uh, I'm calling it either patches or patches and pins, but it it sounds a little bit too much like patchwork. Uh, but mm, it's mm-hmm. it's a tile placement game. Everyone is shocked. Uh, where the idea is that you are making uh, a really cool jean jacket, um, oh, and it's gonna, it's gonna get you Dang it, Emily. into the cool clubs that you want to go to. Um, mm-hmm. So there's two types of tiles. There's patches, which when you put them down, they are affixed, right? Because you mm-hmm. sew them down. Mm-hmm. And then there's pins that you can move. Um, mm-hmm. and so the idea is that there's going to be sort of three rounds of scoring, uh, which I don't know if that's like, you're trying to get into three different nightclubs or, or what it is thematically. Um, but they'll have different sort of scoring criteria and you'll place, you know, a third of the tiles up front. Then we do scoring the next third scoring, but you can move these pins around. Right. And they, mm-hmm. the pins connect to the different themes. So I'm imagining you have your themes are like cats and music and, uh, fandom you know like a sci-fi fandom or something like that and like the environment or something like that Mm -hmm. so you have these different sets of of things that you're trying to connect to like a tile placement sort of game uh but then you have the pins that have multiple so it's the environmentally friendly cat right or it's Mm -hmm. the sci-fi music fandom pin Mm -hmm. right um, so it can sort of connect to multiple things and so when you move them around it sort of changes the topology of of your tile placement over the course of the game. Uh, so, so in my now like emblazoned, I'm going to call it heuristic on how to design tile placement games, they all need uh, a cool way to place the tiles, which in my mind is the, you place them, but you can move some of them, mm-hmm. um, but they need a cool way to get the tiles. And so uh, inspired by a conversation with our own fabulous Connor Wake. Uh, I was going to say, was it Connor? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I've seen Connor's jacket before. <laughs> it was, it was. Connor's jacket is awesome. Um, but we were talking about how to get the tiles and the idea that you have to trade, right? It's it's pins, so you trade pins. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to work on a drafting mechanism that 
has a sense of trading because I don't really want to get into like a, a Catan sheep for wood. Anyone want sheep for wood? I got, you know, um, but I, right now I'm thinking it's sort of like a past draft where you can always use your patches and pins like the chopsticks in Sushi Go where you can always put multiple in and right. take multiple out. So mm -hmm. it'll still be a decreasing number of things going around, but like I might be waiting for that cat pin that's coming and you're like, oh, I'm taking the dog pin and I'm taking the cat pin and I'm taking this rainbow and I'm putting in five Star Trek pins instead. Best of luck. <laughs> right. Um, so, so that's the idea and I'm working on the tiles. Um, they're probably going to be like hexes and circles, but it, again, when I was chatting with Connor, there was this idea of what if they could actually be the shape of the things. And so they were all just, you know, random shapes, but I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not feeling that advanced in my tile placement um, stuff, but my, my pipe dream that I know is not manufacturable, but I'm going to say it anyways, I want the whole board to be covered in one half of Velcro and the patches have the other half of Velcro. So when you stick them down, you really can't move them. Whereas the mm -hmm. pins are easily picked up and moved, but that's mm -hmm. unlikely to happen. But could, yeah. Could you just have spots on the jacket where they were slotted? Maybe, maybe, you know, I bet you there's ooh, other manufacturing ooh. ideas. Yeah, go ahead. I actually have an idea. So if the patches and pins were the same shape ish, like around mm -hmm. them, what you could do is you could have the patches be, you could have the board have insets in it. Right. So that like, uh -huh. you know, things and then make the patches, one level one layer oh. so when you put them in they're flat now right yes. you can't move them out and have oh. the pins be double stacked so they're easy to just pop back out that's a i great mean that would idea. probably be a super easy way to do it for a prototype yeah 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 no yeah, done yeah. sold that's what i'm that's what i'm working on mm -hmm. um i feel so, like you have to have the word jacket in the title maybe right I, yeah. I i just got stuck on the patches and the pins but yeah maybe it's jacket jam i don't know right that's not the name but jacket racket <laughs> Jack, ooh, jacket racket. Nice rhyming. It rhymes, um, but it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> Unless you're like stealing these jackets to sell to people. Yeah, there's something I don't love about the idea that like we're trying to get into the cool kids club that's only going to let us in if we've acquired enough uh, merchandise to attach well, to our jacket. I mean, but... why why do you have to like? Because the 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 reason I'm bringing this up, the first thing I thought of when you said this was I thought of my pal Jason Katarski, who's a punk rocker, who's got all this type of stuff on his jacket, right? Mm -hmm. And they're all very much like it's all punk rocky, right? Yeah. So it's not about like it's about being cool for you. It's not about being cool for others, right? Yeah. So I mean, it could be just as simple as like in the beginning you're given something that says these are, these are the rules for me. And that's because yeah. that's what you care about. Uh -huh. So then, you know, if, if it's going to be set that we all need different stuff anyways, right? Ooh. Like why not just make it so that I care about this one thing and other people care about something else. And then it's just for me. Yeah. That feels, that I, cause feels I agree better. with you. I don't like the idea that it goes, you're trying to get into like the cool club. I don't know. Yeah. That I like me. that. I also think it's like, then the jacket like evolves and follows you through your life. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is your teenage jacket that you then went to your twenties and now you're in your forties. And like, how do you. <laughs> right, right, right. Jackets of our lives. Patchet jacket. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to work things yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll workshop this one. Uh, <laughs> listeners, I think it's a ideas. Put them in the Discord. Super cool idea, though. I love it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You always think of the craziest, like, textile-based ideas. And I'm always just like, my goodness. I'm in my textiles phase. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So that's my game. Excellent. Love it. Love it. Love it. So... Well, cool. This was good. This was yeah. a good episode as promised. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And uh, if you didn't, buzz off. You can go <laughs> blargle yourself. <laughs> or your deck. Or your deck. Blargle your deck. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope you had fun. If you want to get in touch with us, you can go straight to buildingthepodcast.com. Uh, there you can find a link to our Discord. You can join that. Lots of new people coming to the Discord. It's awesome. Uh, you're missing out. Get that FOMO. Get in there. Um, also you can email us building game podcast at gmail.com. You won't, but it's out there. You can, if you feel like it. Uh, and of course you can keep coming back every single week, but until next time, good night. Good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends, building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends, the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends.